Hey, this is Shannon from Slapdash, and this episode is sponsored by 606 Iron. Located in the Big M Plaza in Whitley City, Kentucky, 606 Iron has cardio equipment, free weights, numerous weight training machines, weekly kettleball classes, and tanning beds. Stop by 606 Iron for membership information or call 606-310-4918. History of science and everything else. They slap down a new topic and dash off to the next. It's a great big world with so much to know. Like cryptids, time travel, and the history of Poe. If you want to be a smarty, better learn something fast. With Shannon and Jason on Slapdash Podcast. On today's episode, we're discussing the history of advertising. Across the table is marketing mogul, social media influencer, and lover of internet pop-up ads, Jason Creekmore. How are you, man? Oh, my goodness. I cannot stand internet pop-up ads. <laughs> root, root canals uh-huh. and pop-up ads. Are, are those the two things that About the same thing. Drive you crazy, huh? Yeah. 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 I, I've seen a few pop-up ads, man. You can't go on the internet hardly these days without getting something. Uh, that's every like three or four seconds. You know, YouTube, same thing. Yeah. Have you ever been to a website that begged you to stop your pop-up blocker? You ever been to one of those? Oh, yes. They'll say, oh, please. Uh, we, <laughs> we we generate ad revenue from this, and they do, and we're, we're going to talk about that, but... I, Unfortunately, I've never I've never heard their please. Never click the button. <laughs> never click the button. Yeah, I, uh, I tend to block the pop up ads typically. <laughs> oh yeah, and the I root canals too. when yeah. I can. Advertising has long been the conventional method for promoting products, people, destinations, and pretty much anything, Jason, that one person might want to sell to another. Well, sure. Yeah. In 2018, online advertising revenue grew from an $88.3 billion industry in the previous year to a $107.5 billion industry. When you're talking about those kind of numbers, I can barely say them with a straight face. It's almost like we're just kind of making things up. It's almost kind of irrelevant, right? Yeah. At a certain point, I I think it's just ridiculous money. It's just wild. Advertising is a practice that molds to fit the technology of the day. So when newspapers were the norm, advertising found its way into the pages of the most popular publications. As radio, television, and internet eventually became mainstream, advertising pushed its way into those mediums as well. And I imagine in the future we'll see pop-ups in VR Maybe you think oh, that'll yeah. happen? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That's that's a for sure. So love it or hate it, advertising is a global phenomenon, and it doesn't seem to be slowing down. So on today's episode, we're going to discuss the legacy of advertising, both past and future, and we will begin where it all started with print advertising. I've, I've probably seen more print ads than just about anything else. I think I don't know magazines, newspapers, billboards, just yeah. everywhere you look. <clears throat> I mean, just just historically, yeah. I mean, like in the span of your life. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You can't even be driving down the interstate without, it's almost back-to-back billboards now, if, if you're thinking yeah. about print in those terms as well. And man, that stuff's at a premium. And have you seen the billboards? Because there's, there's actually one in, in the town that, you know, that I live in where it just says, says something like, uh, do billboards work? This one just did. Oh, you know, as you're driving by, and man. You're, yeah, I thought that was kind of kind of meta advertising. That's, there, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. I like that. So, to begin our discussion on print advertising, which was the first form of advertising, it actually started in 1609. An ad appeared in a British newspaper advertising migration opportunities to America. 
I thought that was kind of cool. Wow. Yeah. So come on down to America, folks. That's, you know? a, that's, a, pretty, you. <laughs> that's a pretty old ad. Yeah. England embraced importation of goods during the 17th century with advertisements promoting items such as Chinese porcelain, Indian spices, and Persian rugs. These ads often included long text descriptions that explain the origin and use of the products. Not like we see today. It seems like today it's more of a sort of a gotcha kind of caption. They, they want to draw you in right. real quick, show you the product. And in some cases, the product isn't even really what the ad is focused on. It's just a funny saying or something where Geico's kind of notorious oh, yeah. for this. Yeah. You know, they'll just throw something random out there and then you start to associate, oh, random advertisements with Geico. And it's not so much that you remember anything about the history of geico or what they actually provide it's just geico is an insurance company that, right. that's really what they're they're shooting for so following the advertisements in england colonial america started introducing advertisements in print the boston newsletter published the first newspaper ad in colonial america which announced the sale of an estate in oyster bay long island in 1704 real estate was hmm. one of the first things to start a uh, sort of start up in the colonies as far as uh, print advertisements that go makes sense it does a lot of real estate to to get into i guess by 1729 the pennsylvania gazette which was founded by benjamin franklin began running advertisements and by the end of the 18th century the first daily newspaper which was called the pennsylvania packet and daily advertiser had hit the streets of philly wow <laughs> yeah i love the name pennsylvania packet and daily advertiser you know? <laughs> it's kind of a two for one yeah that's probably before the days when people had an aversion to like the word advertising like you don't really want that so much today <laughs> no you know but back then they just put it right in the title they just kind of put it front and center <laughs> we are the daily advertiser <laughs> buckle up folks <laughs> Uh, following this, uh, in the 19th century, we entered into what was called the newspaper age. This was when the newspaper expansion and evolution of print advertising really took off. Benjamin Day established the Sun newspaper in 1833, which had a circulation of 30,000 by 1837. So within just about four years, he was sending out these papers to about 30,000 people. That's a lot of folks back in that day. That's quite a bit. And uh, they were all receiving advertisements. New York City hosted the first advertising agency. Agents convention during the 19th century, and John Wanamaker established the first full-time advertising job at his department store in 1880. So, hmm. kind of cool if you were in the market, you know, quote unquote market for uh, new things to do. Then this this might have been a, a, a neat one, just kind of writing advertisements and promoting stuff within the department store. By this time, companies began creating advertising budgets to keep up with print advertising. Uh, a magazine named Muncie's Magazine revolutionized publishing during 1893 by reducing its newsstand subscription prices to experiment with advertising as a primary source of revenue. They just sort of started selling their magazines a little bit cheaper than everyone else, and they started depending more and more on the ad revenue that was generated instead see, of the sales instead yeah. of the sales and we see that a lot today in, in different mediums especially like online mediums places like youtube are generally free you don't have to pay necessarily to sign right. up although you can pay a subscription fee and get rid of the ads but primarily they generate revenue through ads sure print advertising in the 20th century established the age of consumerism the kellogg's company which we've talked about on previous podcasts oh, yeah. the top 20 serials advertised cornflakes in six newspapers in 1906 and was operating with a national advertising budget of one million dollars by 1915 man that's a that seems like a lot of money for a, you said 1915 1915 isn't that a crazy that's a amount lot. Of money? yeah i wouldn't even even have thought that kellogg's was such a big brand back then that they no. could spend that amount of money yeah. on, on just advertising and 
I assume they probably didn't have Tony the Tiger back then. <laughs> Although I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. By 1936, Life magazine began running advertisements and became the first publication to make $100 million per year from advertising. 1936. Wow. Pretty incredible. That actually, that, that shocks me as well. As we mentioned, advertising's kind of, uh, they evolve with the technology of the day. So print media was the very first way that people could kind of shout at you and say, hey, you over here, buy this thing. Right. But there became a much more effective method a little bit later on with the invention of the radio. So Jason, what can you tell us about radio advertising? I can tell you quite a bit, Shannon. <laughs> Shortly after uh, World War One, radio companies began to manufacture more and more radios for the public and, and likewise an increase in radio stations occurred. So you have to remember that this was pre-television, obviously, so the radio quickly became a popular form of entertainment uh, for the entire family. But on August 28th, 1922, WEAF, your favorite radio station, Shannon. Oh, yeah, I listen to it every day. Good old WEAF in New York, uh, a radio station owned by AT&T, became the first station to sell uh, or broadcast uh, an, uh, an advertisement. The ad was for the Queensboro Corporation, which was advertising a new apartment complex. Oh, yeah. And the cost of the ad uh, to run that, I think, for one week was $50. 50 bucks for one week, huh? 50, 50 bucks. 50 bucks. 50 bucks, and we will hook you up with a new apartment. During the 1930s and 1940s, radio listenership increased, uh, as did advertising. During these decades, families would gather around to listen to War of the Worlds, The Shadow, Flash Gordon, Dick Tracy, Guiding Light, and The Lone Ranger. Even today, 80% of Americans listen to the radio on a, quote, regular basis, so radio advertisements continue to be a major deal. Now, radio stations typically categorize their advertising time slots in some, some common time you know, uh, parameters. So most often, it's from uh, 6 a.m. until 10 a.m. Mm -hmm. That's the first time slot. Then we go from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Then we go from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. And then we go from 7 p.m. until midnight. And then, of course, it wraps back around from midnight into 6 in the morning. Uh, the most expensive time slots are the morning and afternoon uh, slots as they coincide with the uh, going to work and coming home. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, the commute. commute. Yeah, yeah people absolutely. listen to radio. Yeah, absolutely. So so just be honest, Shannon. So it, how often do you listen to radio on the car? <laughs> Jason, if, if I'm alone, it's always on. Uh, if I'm driving in the car with my wife and kids, uh, it's probably like a 50-50 maybe. It just kind of depends on how they're behaving right. that yeah. day. Uh, but I listen to it quite a bit. And, you know, I always notice whenever these ads come on, it's like, doo-doo-doo, 107.3. <laughs> the big cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just something like that. So I don't know if they were doing that back in the heyday, but uh, that's about all you hear these days. Right. It's just kind of lasers. Right. Lasers must be pretty common right. at the radio station. <laughs> Uh, I listen to the radio a lot. And of course, uh, you know, being that this is a podcast, I also listen to other podcasts. That's right. Yeah. And so some podcasts, uh, more than others, will have uh, advertisements, you know, in there. Sure. And so I, I listen to that as well. But uh, we listen to the radio quite a bit. And, and I'll be honest, I listen to the ads. It's not like, you know, if I'm watching TV, I may change the channel. You're kind of captive you're, when you're listening you, to radio. When the radio, you're sort of driving, you mm -hmm. know, and you and and so I thought eh, it's only going to be 10, 15 seconds yeah. and we'll get right back into the next song or whatever. So uh, the advertisements on radio, I kind of think in certain ways may be a little more effective even than the ones on TV. Now, the ones on TV that are good are really good, right? right. Yeah. But the ones on radio seem to be consistent. It's one of those strange times when you can't be on your phone. 
when you're driving. So like sometimes whenever television comes on, you see a commercial and you just, ah, and you just hop on Facebook yeah. for three to four minutes. Driving down the road, you don't really have that luxury unless you're a madman. Yeah, because that's against the law <laughs> right? <yeah. laughs> in, in most states. <laughs> Jesse, do you know what my favorite radio ad is of all time? What's that? And it's not even one that is, is like a real ad. Do you remember A Christmas Story, that the movie with Peter Billingsley and, uh, well, just A Christmas Story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the very famous movie, right? There, uh, he... What's the kid's name? Ralphie. Yeah. Ralphie. Ralphie gets a, a little orphan Annie decoder ring yep. in the mail. And he's so excited about that because every night he and his little brother listen to the little orphan Annie show. And it's just this staged play sort of thing. And at the end of that show, they always give some secret code. They'll be right. like D, three, four, whatever. And then if you write that down, you can use that little orphan Annie decoder ring and you can figure out you know what she's actually saying and i just love that scene in the movie where he has the code he locks himself in maybe the bathroom i can't remember and he he thinks he's he's like what is she trying to tell me you know do i need to save the world this is a government secret (laughs) and it it starts out the the message is like remember to and he's like remember to what and by the end of it he, he gets to the end he's got it all unscrambled and he just reads it and he says remember to drink your ovaltine it's like awful team like the crummy commercial <laughs> it's just great i don't know it's awesome yeah, yeah. It's, it's, that's it's a great stuff. part of it so shannon what do you have next so jason after radio uh, as we mentioned things started to evolve with the technology we had television uh, almost as soon as the magic of moving pictures became available to home audiences marketers began to advertise television advertising started simply in the early 1940s with the united states federal communications commission the fcc issuing commercial licenses to 10 u.s stations how about that yeah just just 10 as it started out as the technology evolved they introduced color pictures multiple channels additional distribution started to happen and the potential for earning money through tele- television ads just exploded so here's the timeline of how television ads developed from the beginning to kind of where we're at now in 1941 the first television ad airs uh, it's a commercial for the belova watch company costing nine dollars to run the ad I, I, I wonder how many people bought a watch i don't know but i actually have that exact fact here do you really yes was that part of your research yeah. too it was part of my research yeah but i actually came across this earlier on an earlier episode i think maybe i think so we did something where that came up what was the first commercial that was aired yeah we've done a lot of tv i forgot stuff. i forgot what it was but i didn't remember the date but i remembered the company actually though yeah that's pretty cool yeah, it's it's the uh, watch company it's the watch yeah. it yep yeah. so in 1951 tv ad spending reaches 128 million dollars now get this, up from twelve and a half million in nineteen forty nine. So two years later, there's a ten times increase in the amount of advertising wow. uh, revenue that's generated. So twelve point five million to one hundred twenty eight million dollars in nineteen fifty three. Commercially broadcast color television launches, and my oh my. <laughs> That's when things really things started were, to pop. Things were booming. Yeah, people get excited about that. 1955 TV ad spending reaches the $1 billion threshold, which I didn't know there were a billion dollars in the whole world in the 1950s. <laughs> in 1955. Come on. <laughs> yeah. uh, in 1963, TV surpasses newspapers as an information source for the very first time. In 1964, the big three, CBS, ABC, and NBC, demand upward of $50,000 from advertisers for a prime time minute. So each minute you wanted to spend on the air talking about people going cuckoo for Cocoa Pops. Oh, yeah. That's uh, $50,000 per minute. Man. That's, that's wild. 
1968, presidential campaigns started spending about double on TV advertisements, going from $10 million in 1960 to $27 million. In 1971, a congressional ban on TV cigarette advertising takes effect, stripping the broadcast business of about $220 million in advertising. And I have a pseudo story about this one. So uh, apparently it became, uh, I don't know, it's a word illegal, I don't know, to, to advertise cigarettes on television before it became illegal for it to be advertised in print. So you could still see it in print for, okay. for a while. Just not on TV. Just not on TV. So when I was a kid, there was a contest around the time that uh, Joe Camel was really big. You remember Camel <laughs> yeah. cigarettes? J- Joe Cool. Or Joe whatever. Cool, that's the yeah, name, yeah. yeah. So uh, a lot of folks felt that he was sort of a cartoon character in right. a way, and he, he was like a camel wearing these black shades and this black leather zip-up jacket, and he looks like he looked like Fonzie right, from yeah. Happy Days. Yeah. Uh, so some folks thought maybe that was marketed toward a younger audience, you know, so, so that became banned. But there was a contest, and the contest was for someone to sort of draw an anti-smoking advertisement. And uh, as a kid, I was really interested in that. For some reason, I, I really like to draw. For some reason, I say, like, how, how dare I like to draw? <laughs> <laughs> Can't imagine. Uh, but yeah, I was really into drawing at this time, and uh, I remember submitting to this contest, and I drew a picture of Joe Cool laying in, in a hospital gown in a bed, and he was kind of hooked up to a ventilator. But but here's here's where I went wrong. This, this was silly. This is how kids think, all right? The only way I'd ever seen Joe Cool was with the shades and a cigarette in his mouth. He's on the ventilator, laying in a hospital bed with shades and a cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> so he is not to be deterred, sir. You went, you, you went going to change me, man. That's right. I didn't win that contest. <laughs> I bet you entertained a lot of folks, though. Oh, my family loved it. They, they I, I, as a kid, I still didn't. I didn't understand it. It took a few years for I was like, "Why was that not the right thing to just do?" Just hanging out the sun. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> But uh, in 1984, in the third quarter of the Super Bowl, Apple introduces the Macintosh computer with a $500,000 ad. This started the major ad event that the Super Bowl would eventually become. Have you ever seen any Super Bowl ads? Oh, absolutely. That's I mean, I like football, but I'm just being honest That's why here. some people come to it. About half the reason I watch the game is because of those ads. I want to see I what Doritos is up to. But yeah, it's year. always Pepsi's going to do something. Doritos is going to do something. There's always going to be one that's hilarious, one that's going to kind of tug on your heartstrings. Right. You know, it's it's those are pretty cool commercials. And at the end of the day, everybody on the other side of that equation is out a lot of money a to, to make money. these ads happen. The most expensive Super Bowl ad ever was Chrysler's imported from Detroit ad. Do you know what this one is? Uh, I think it had Eminem in it. It sure did. The rapper, yeah. yeah. It ran in 2014 and cost... $12.4 million. The commercial is over two minutes long and features Eminem visiting different parts of his hometown, Detroit, in an American-made Chrysler. Man, $12 million. 12 big minutes ones. of getting in front of the Super Bowl audience and saying, guys, let's buy Chrysler and let's drive it through Detroit. <laughs> Listen to some Eminem. That's right. In 1994, internet advertising arrives with web ads grossing $300 million in the mid-1990s. More on that here in just a little bit. Now, let's fast forward a little bit to 2017. This is when streaming services such as Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu, which were the top U.S. subscription services, started to generate close to $15 billion in monthly fees alone. So I'm a subscriber to Netflix, 
to Hulu. I have a YouTube subscription as well to eliminate the ads. I'm, I'm part of these numbers, man. I'm, wow. I'm giving money to these these folks to watch now, my videos. I don't have the YouTube subscription, but we do have Netflix and Hulu. Yeah, and a lot of America do. For the first time since television ads began in 1941, spending in 2017 on TV ads falls uh, as more people move away from cable. Viewership of even the most popular network shows continues to decline. That doesn't surprise me too much. Uh, my wife and I, we we cut, they call it cord cutting. Uh-huh. We, we cut the cable uh, probably 10 years ago. We, we've yeah. not had cable TV. Uh, of course, at the time, we had like two DVR boxes. We had satellite. We were recording yeah. shows. I mean, and, and the subscription fee for that was like astronomical. I mean, it was crazy because we had all the channels and all the things you, you feel like you need, you know, right. as a American consumer. But you rarely use but you, the majority of them. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we started tracking our, our habits and seeing, well, how much of this do we actually use? And there were probably only like two or three shows that we would watch on a weekly basis. Like we're always going to tune into right. that show. This was during the, the heyday of like American Idol and maybe Lost and, oh, yeah. and some of those shows. But other than that, I mean, the 15 dozen other cooking channels and, you know, news outlets and things, we really didn't touch on that much. And we, we started cutting our package down. And then finally, we bought into Netflix, to Hulu, and we've, we've really not looked back. Just, that's that's all we use is just on-demand streaming. Yeah, I, uh, probably about a month ago, I, I realized I was talking with uh, my wife and, and the girls, and we had been at home three or four days in a row there we didn't really go anywhere and i don't think the tv i don't think the tv was physically turned on yeah not even for a second like in that three or four day span and you know and i'm looking around the house and you know my wife's over there on netflix and the girls (laughs) are on their phones and then one has an ipad or or whatever they're on their laptop but they really just simply don't watch tv yeah you know they don't really just watch you know now i'm i like sports it's a little bit different kind of maybe for me but we we don't we we honestly don't use our satellite enough to really pay for it to be honest i mean it's it's probably only on four or five days a month right i bet and i think as a as a response to that you know because a lot of these television stations are they're losing ad revenue because we're not watching commercials if we're not watching television right so they're starting to look into their own streaming services and we've started to see platforms like disney channel release disney plus and just about every station has their own form of streaming and sometimes it's embedded within hulu sometimes it's its own thing but it feels like that's that's kind of the way of the future and i think we'll talk more about that as well and here's in just a little bit but before we do that jason do you want to take a quick break and listen to an advertisement for the slapdash store (laughs) well this is a perfect time Hey everyone, we're happy to announce that the podcast now has a merchandise store. Shannon, everyone loves hoodies and everyone loves coffee. Yeah, and you can pick up a nice Slapdash hoodie or a Slapdash mug and drink your next cup of joe right out of a Slapdash cup. (laughs) We also have t-shirts and stickers. Yeah, we do. So come on by and log on to www.slapdashpod.com forward slash store. That's www.slapdashpod.com forward slash store store welcome back and today we are discussing the history of advertising so the next topic shannon we're going to talk about are some of the more popular advertisements of all time now we could have had a, uh, a list of 50 here right oh, so yeah. but obviously we don't have time for that but i did highlight uh, a few so you know over the years there have been many famous ads but uh, here again are just a few that have appeared on radio television and of course in print 
perhaps the biggest maybe of all time is of course Nike's Just Do It, right? <laughs> I remember so that. So this well, that's still rolling. That that's that's still rolling. Yeah. yeah. So in 1988, before Just Do It was released, uh, Nike's sales were at uh, roughly 800 million dollars. That's a lot of money. That's uh, quite a bit. But a decade later, uh, right around the late 80s, there, right when they released that that slogan, and of course Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods don't hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. They but, can only do good stuff for right. money making. Yeah. But but 10 years later, they went from 800 million to 9 billion. So that again, that's over tenfold profit. Wow. You uh, know, in, in over 10 years and the the just do it. Yes, people were doing it, huh? Slogan. They were they were they were <laughs> buying some shoes and some jerseys and, and and whatever else in the world that they make. We talked about that one on the history of uh, Nike, Nike and McDonald's, McDonald's. and yep. Didn't that come about in a strange way to just do it? I can't remember the history of it now, but we talked about it on that episode. I, 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 I forgot its name, but it actually came from someone on death row. Oh, that's right. That's that. That's where it came from. I, I've, I've, I just remembered. Uh, uh, there's a weird story behind this. There certainly is. Death Row, huh? So you can kind of look that one up. But yeah, that's that's kind of where it came from. Yeah. All right. Another ad is Anheuser Busch's the the old famous from 1999. What's up, right? <laughs> I mean, from about 1999 to like 2001 or 2002, you really couldn't go like anywhere without some <laughs> joker looking at you saying What's up, right. <laughs> you know. And it's like at first. It's funny and you giggle, yeah. but then like you know, six months later, you're like, man, nothing is up currently. Yeah. I'm I'm tired of being yeah. asked that question. Yeah, sir. over and over. But it was a huge Super Bowl commercial and massive, massive success. I thought, and I, I guess I'm wrong. I, I thought that originated with the scary movie, movie, the movie called Scary Movie, because yeah. they did that with the Ghostface guy. He said, why that? That that came because of. The gotcha. commercial, All yeah, right. that was. So I was yeah. lagging behind. I was getting like a secondhand source on that ad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. we'll go to the primary on this one. <laughs> yeah. uh, another one is from the California Milk Processing Company, which is a little bit odd, but it's mm-hmm. the old famous Got Milk. Got Milk. Right? Yeah. And Shannon, that came out in 1993. Oh, it didn't. That's 27 years old. Man, how old are we? Got older than 27 years, apparently. Goodness, past the Jared Hall, man. But, <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling. Why is that? So, so we can bring that back. We, we could. You think Slapdash has the marketing potential to, to put that ad back in circulation? I'm going to go home tonight and just talk to my daughters that way and just see if they even know. Like, see if oh, they're yeah. even aware. Like, at some point, they're going to say, what are you doing? Like, why are you talking like that? You know, I can't wait. I'm gonna, Don't I'm give try. them any context. Oh, nothing. Either. No, just, I won't say just anything. Just walk into the house. Why that? Just see, if, just see if they figure it up. Your daughter's 15 and how old's Maley? Uh 11. 11. Yeah. Yeah. Report back on they, that. They'll have, no, they'll have no idea. That's great. Uh, just today, actually, this is kind of funny. Um, Kennedy said, uh, you know, because we're kind of getting close to Halloween, right? Yeah. So Kennedy uh, today said, you know, we need to have a uh, Halloween movie marathon. You know, we need oh, to yeah. kind of get you know, get that fired up, and sure. she's really wanting to do that. And Maylee, uh, and and Maylee is 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 very smart, very meticulous about everything, but she's also very literal. Mm-hmm. And Maylee turned to her and she said, "That's stupid, Kennedy." She said, "Why would you want to watch? Why would you want to go run a marathon and then watch a Halloween movie?" And she was she was dead up serious. Oh, that's you know? great! So, yeah, I love that. Uh, another one is the famous uh, "Where's the beef." 
oh, yeah. from Wendy's in 1984. Those were some pretty clever commercials. That's a good one. Pepsi and Coke have had a bunch, but probably the most famous Coke ad uh, was from 1979, again, Super Bowl. Uh, it was the famous Hey Kid Catch. So are you I, familiar I this one. with yeah. this? Yeah, so this featured basically just a little kid along with uh, NFL legend Mean Joe Green. And mm-hmm. they're kind of like in the uh, the uh, runway there right before they're getting ready to go out you know, to the It's just looking at him with starry eyes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that that's that's a really good one. And he tosses him a Coke, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah and he's like, "Oh, thanks, Mean Joe," or his uniform <laughs> jersey or whatever. He's not mean at all. No, he's nice, Joe. <laughs> uh, and and one interesting fact: the most expensive television ad that was ever created and, and purchased and, and put on the airways was uh, it's been a, some time ago in 2004, and it was by Chanel Number no. Five, starring Nicole Kidman. <laughs> okay. okay, go figure. All right, it cost thirty three million dollars. No, it didn't. It cost $33 million, and it was like a semi-short story play type thing. I want to say it was like a two, not for real, I want to say it was like a two-and-a-half-minute long commercial. Yeah, and it kind of tells a story. I mean, it's it's long enough where like there's multiple characters, and there's a little bit of character development. It goes on for like two-and-a-half minutes. <laughs> and I know you think I'm crazy. I just made this up, but but I'm not. And so eventually it was whittled down to like, I want to say like maybe 90 seconds for the British release. Mm-hmm. And then when it was released in America, it was like a 30 second one. Uh, but, but, <laughs> but the entire thing was like two and a half minutes long. And basically it's like Nicole Kidman is like this famous actress and she's trying to run away from the proper, from the paparazzi. And she falls in love with this man, like in a taxi who doesn't really know who she is. And, <laughs> Again, this is a commercial. There's a whole story there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's like plot, you know, rising action, everything, you know, going on there. For $33 million, we could purify the world's water supplies. (laughs) Or we can let... The Chanel company created three minute long, uh, two and a half, three minute long. That's a, that's a three minute saga. It is. Call it. Yeah. So there you go. That's great. So Jason, up next we have internet advertising. Have you ever been advertised to on the internet? I have today, actually. Oh really? Yes, and yesterday. Happens all the time. All right? the time, nonstop. So in 1994, the first banner ad appeared on websites. The first ad was written in a rainbow font and said, "Quote: Have you ever clicked your mouse right here? You will." <laughs> That was the first banner on the internet. <laughs> it's like, I feel strangely compelled to, to click here. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that strange, though? I mean, it wasn't even really... It, it would eventually advertise product, which I'll describe here in a minute, but it, it wasn't really up front, doing it that was up just front. almost like, just, a, like a directive or something. Yeah, and, and this, you know, internet was new. People were like, ooh, a mouse. Ooh, clicky, clicky. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a thing. So the ad was for Wired Magazine's former online offshoot, which was called Hot Wired, and the ad gave the side a way to pay their writers, but the ad was purchased by AT&T for $30,000 and had a click-through rate of 44%. So about wow. four or five out of 10 people that would look at that would say actually did it. i am going to click here <laughs> yeah that that number would make most marketers just lose their minds <laughs> today to, to put that into perspective the average click-through rate on display ads today 22 years later is closer to 0.06 percent so when we see ads today we're a lot wiser if they oh, say yeah hey you that that's kind of the equivalent of like the guy in the back alley that's got like the trench coat and he's like opening it up. Got some watches over here. <laughs> Show you some wares. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's he selling back there? You know, in nineteen ninety four, that was our response. Like, oh yes, sir. Let's <laughs> let's see those wares. But uh, in two thousand twenty, you're like, not, eh, not so much. No. we've wised up. <laughs> 
So when users clicked on the ad, they were brought to an old AT&T landing page where they were able to click on links to view information about landmarks and museums. The goal of the ad was to provide a useful service to those who were curious enough to click the ad and not to feel like they were being marketed to. So when you got there, it didn't, you know, AT&T's logo was somewhere on the page, but it wasn't saying, you know, buy phone service, buy internet service. It was just like, you want to know something about the Washington Monument? Click here. So it was kind of weird. So the ad itself just, have you ever clicked your mouse right here? You will. And you click and it takes you to this informational website that tells you about Sponsored by AT&T kind of. Sponsored by AT&T. And it was kind of genius in a way because, well, you know, the ad obviously got 44% of people to click on it. And then when you got there, you didn't feel betrayed like, oh, AT&T, how how dare they? Here's some free information. Here's some free information. Yeah. So so it kind of worked out. By 1995, display ads were being used by several companies and they were becoming increasingly targeted. This is something we'll hear a lot about modern day, this idea of being targeted by ads. This means the ads started appearing where specific users were likely to be browsing. So for example, you might find a car tires ad on a website discussing travel and vacations, or you might find an ad for paper on a site selling printers, those sort of things. It started to be more specific. They would, wouldn't just randomly you know, throw out an ad for sure. guitars on a Jello side. Right. <laughs> Although, man, those those Jello eaters be some guitar playing fools <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> By 1996, return on investment or ROI tools began to emerge, which would allow companies to determine how many times a particular ad had been clicked across multiple websites. Prior to these ROI tools coming out, advertisers didn't really know how well their ads were performing. And by 1997, pop-up ads emerged and popped onto the scene. (laughs) Wow. Oh, man. Good job. I appreciate that. I I didn't feel a pat on the back for that one, but, uh, you know, in spirit, I did. Pop-up ads are boxes that would pop up from a website when the site was accessed, and they would have to be manually closed by the user or clicked on to proceed to the actual content the user wanted to view. We talked about these a little at the beginning, and you said, not a big fan, huh? No, (laughs) at all. Users universally hated pop-up ads. Imagine that. (laughs) I mean, it's the equivalent of walking down the street and someone just throws a billboard up in front of your face. (laughs) Hey, buddy. You're like, hey, whoa. (laughs) Users universally hated pop-up ads, and they've often been called the Internet's original sin. (laughs) (laughs) The pop-up ad concept is so widely despised today that the original developers have apologized for creating the code that unleashed these ads upon web surfers in, in days gone by. They said, sorry we we know that we unleashed a monster my bad <laughs> oops by the early 2000s it was standard for web browsers to come preloaded with pop-up blocking features and you know i'm not mm. seeing pop-up ad in a long time because i block them yeah <laughs> in 1999 search engines began to charge companies for ad placements within search results and a lot of people jason kind of felt this approach to marketing would lead to corrupt results because i could pay the search engine X amount of dollars, and that would increase the likelihood that if someone searched for Nike brand shoes, that I would be at the top, or if they just searched for running shoes in general, that sure. Nike or whomever would appear at the top. But search search engines did it anyway. You know, they said, "Well, this is one way we can monetize what we're doing." But this method evolved into the pay per click model, which is where a company says something like, "I will pay the search engine company one dollar per click if my company is listed at the top search result." So that's kind of the model that we that we have today. Hmm. 
By 2006, digital ads became hyper-targeted. As social media platforms picked up steam in the mid-2000s, advertisers sought a way to integrate ad content in a way that was both effective and non-intrusive because we didn't like to see the pop-ups jumping up in front of our faces. Facebook, you ever heard of Facebook? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Facebook's heard of you, too, (laughs) coincidentally. I believe it has. Yeah. Yeah, so Facebook reluctantly added advertising to their model in 2006 as a way to increase revenue. And by 2014, Mark Zuckerberg said, quote, Our strategy is much less about increasing the volume of ads and much more about increasing the quality of the content and the quality of the targeting to get the right content to the right people, end quote. I don't know if I much care for the quality of the targeting so much. You no. Know, I, I don't like being targeted by ads. They, they feel too personal. So much so that you can now, whenever you see an ad pop up on Facebook, you can click it off and hit hide ad, and it'll ask you, why did you hide this ad? And one of the options is, this ad knows too much. I mean, <laughs> isn't that kind of weird? That really? They acknowledge that you are kind of perturbed by that. You're, you're kind of put off by ads that know a little bit too much about who you are as a person. Right. That's kind of weird. Huh. This method of targeting consumers with relevant ads rather than bombarding them with a large volume of ad content has become standard practice. The last thing we'll mention about internet ads is the idea of big data. And we've said stuff like this before, and you always kind of you kind of giggle a little bit when we say like big whatever. She just imagined the people sitting big around in the boardroom. Big pharma. Big data. She imagined Dr. Evil in his big high back chair, turns around, stroking like a... A hairless cat. Siamese cat. <laughs> Welcome, gentlemen, to the, the meeting of the big data. <laughs> but, uh, you know, big data is basically the name given to the companies and the software that collect massive amounts of data for use in targeted advertising. For example, some websites track your browsing history and use that information to deliver more relevant ads. So if they see you going on sports websites, a lot or they see you going on hunting websites or video game websites you're going to go back to facebook one day and all of a sudden there's going to be an ad in there that says oh check out you know nba prime time or there's going to say check out uh, this brand of whatever and this happens to me a lot when i go on amazon and i start searching for for something i want to buy i go back over to facebook and then sure enough there's that thing that i decided 10 minutes ago i didn't want to buy and i'm tempted right (laughs) Because there it is again. There it is again. But then I, I, I remember, man, Big Dada's just sitting there stroking the, the hairless <laughs> cat. And I'm like, no, no thanks. <laughs> Buy that vacuum cleaner, Shannon Deaton. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Some people, myself included, feel this targeted advertising is sort of intrusive and might even cross the line a little bit when it comes to the storing and tracking of personal user information and that's kind of the history of the the internet advertising but jason what's the future of advertising look well like? i believe that you kind of started to hit upon that a little bit uh the future of advertising is not entirely clear however one would have to think that technology would obviously be at the center of it uh, obviously internet advertising isn't going away but most experts tend to agree that advertising will become much more individualized like we were just talking about there uh, in the future and possibly utilize some type of augmented reality when watching television or videos etc so the commercials that i see might be different than what you see so like for instance if we're watching uh, a television show 
right. and it comes time for a commercial break, if we were to have some kind of like aug- like augmented reality glasses or something along those lines, you know, five, ten, fifteen years in the future, that we're both watching the same show, but when it comes when it comes time for commercials, I would see the commercials that are really more geared toward my interests. And the same, and the same for you. And then when our, you know, different commercials would go off, then it comes back to the same show we're watching, which is kind of funny when you when you think about that. It is because you you could be sitting over there watching some big intellectual, you know, go to this college, get your graduate degree, and I'm sitting over here, oh, cat food or whatever. <laughs> I mean, and by that theory, yeah, that that's exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and then also the idea of having different variations of advertisements, but for the same product. Right. So, for instance, we're watching a TV show. All of a sudden, uh, Apple has purchased this this commercial, right? And so, if I am a you know fifty year old professional, the, the the commercial that I see might feature some of the calendar options and scheduling features within oh, yeah. the new iPhone. Okay, mm. but across from me, if I have my teenage daughter sitting there, she may be looking at it uh, at a commercial that features all about the pixels and the camera, mm. and here are the, here's the music that, that's kind of interesting, yeah, right? Yeah. So we're both kind of getting the same company, the same product, but two different sets of features are being highlighted based on who is viewing it. Mm. So I thought that's kind of an interesting, it interesting is. idea. And, and big data evolves into even bigger data. That's right. Because they know who's watching at that point. Uh, yeah. And, and of course, this, this would go back to, I mean, obviously, like today, like you're talking about when you're on your phone uh, and your Facebook account and different things that... Uh, it obviously has algorithms and it, it, it tracks everything, right? I mean, yeah. anything that you look at. So what I'm talking about is really maybe like in the future if we're having some some sort of glasses or some other kind of hardware mm-hmm. that we're utilizing to watch TV that would that would enhance the experience and sort of individualize it for that person specifically. So right. the show may not change, but maybe different details about it or around it, or if you want to ask questions, they would kind of you know pop up and then the commercials would be different. Hmm. Sort of like interactive commercials, yeah. In a way, in, in a way yeah. Huh. So that's probably, probably that's the future of advertising. Yeah. Man, that's really interesting. I, I don't know if I like that any better. <laughs> I, I like the idea of it sitting here right now, as I can assume people back in the '40s like the idea of television ads. Like, wow, you know, they're showing me things in the department store. But you wait until we live with that for about ten years and start to think about, okay, why why are they all of a sudden selling me, uh, you know, hair growth ointment? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they know more about me than I do. <laughs> They've basically tracked you your entire life, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Here are some vitamins that you need. That's pretty cool. Well, Jason, I, I guess we're at the end of the episode here. Is there anything else you want to mention about advertising before we get ready to head off? I guess maybe just once again, thank uh, 606 Iron, our uh, sponsor. So give them another advertisement here. But other than that, I think not. I have uh, some cheese sticks awaiting me <laughs> when I go home this evening for dinner. All right, sounds so good. So that's, that's what I'm going to do. There you go. Thanks all of our listeners who are joining us each week. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the handle at SlapdashPod. And that's my advertisement for the end. We'll catch you in the next episode. What's up? <laughs>